0: a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last.
3: Network's Wagering Week. Help your bottom line. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And welcome to our number two episode. Well, hopefully it, that just means it's the second episode. second episode. Not a ma- not a question about equality. We uh, I keep think. it on a high plane here at two. Very Mending classy lawyers. show. So welcome back. Our first episode was last week on impeachment, of, of course. course. And we we thought about going to another topic, Connor, but you know Alan we... Dershowitz
2: brought us back. Yeah. I just couldn't. I we we can't stay away. Every time he opens his mouth, a stream of content for our number two episode gushes forth. Oh, are we keeping it at a high plane? I yes, forgot. we are. It's, oh, like, it's like
3: that Godfather movie when Al Pacino complained every time I try to leave they pull, me, pull back. me back. So yeah. Alan Dershowitz mm-hmm. pulled us back yeah. to talk about impeachment. Incredible. Before we get to impeachment I just wanted to make a, a quick comment about uh, Chris Erskine, a fabulous columnist for the LA Times. If you haven't seen uh, his uh, terrific column was just this Saturday, uh, February one. Google it. It's wonderful. He's got a great book out called Daditude. So Chris Erskine, you gotta check him out. Uh, One other item before we start, Connor, a little pet peeve of mine. I Mm -hmm. I know I overreacted, but uh, I was walking along the street, and I see a a U.S. mail truck. Okay. And the U.S. mail truck has a little sign printed up, uh, and it's in the front of the mail truck. And you paid for it, Connor. (laughs) You paid for that sign. Yeah. Not a a huge portion. Right. Uh, A tiny portion of every postage stamp I buy. Yeah, Connor Oaks paid for the sign in the U.S. mail truck. And you want to know what the sign said? Mm Mm-hmm. It said, um, it said, pay your bills by mail, pay your bills by mail. They're telling you, go out and buy our stamps. Right. And kill a bunch of trees, get the envelopes, write Mm -hmm. stuff out like Thomas Jefferson did with a quill pen. Right. And totally ruin our whole recycling program. Yep. Is that right for us to pay as taxpayers for their little ad campaign? Oh, please, we don't want to go broke. Please buy stamps and pay your bills by mail. When everybody now has the opportunity to go online, they boom, quickly pay their bills. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It it, it does make no sense. and I, I get...
2: If you're going to pay your your bills and that's going to support the post office, right. okay, fine. But the idea of saying, use us over a digital alternative for no no real reason, <laughs> that's pretty silly. Absolutely. I think it's time for an angry letter to the postmaster. Or uh, an armed revolution. Well, Maybe it wouldn't we go could, that far. We could take over a post office in Washington State somewhere. We could coordinate... Um, with uh, they'd Republican be okay Senator. with that if
3: everybody got organized by sending letters to each oh, other, absolutely, advocating absolutely. the armed But revolution. literally, no one would. So let's talk impeachment. Maybe for the very last uh, episode, last time. Uh, interesting schedule. Uh, r- right now, it's uh, it's Sunday, Feb. 2. So what we have is a lot of uh, things happening this week. We've got the senators are going to be speaking on the floor. Uh, you're going to have uh, four hours of arguments uh, on Monday. Uh, and then, uh, after more speeches on Tuesday, uh, you're looking at, uh, oh, let's see, uh, the final Senate is coming back for the Chief Justice to preside over the vote on Wednesday. So call me a cynic, Connor, but is it possible the Democrats extended things because they didn't want the not guilty vote in the books? Oh, I don't know, in time for the president to gloat about it in his Tuesday State of the Union address?
2: No. I think that the Democrats have been basically rushing into this as quickly as possible um, in, in a lot of ways. I think that they dragged their feet at a certain points uh, for strategic reasons. I think they were right to do so. Um, but at this point, I would expect this is more about uh, Chief Justice Roberts' schedule. You know, He's a busy guy. You think Chief so? It's it's Corps. possible
3: his, his schedule is coming into play, yeah. but uh, so we're going to see know. this. We're going to see the State of the Union address, and it'll be interesting to see whether uh, the president is uh, going to take the high road or if he's going to get in. Oh yeah, what are the odds? Gloating you gloating. What mode. do you think the
2: odds are that he's
3: going to take the high road there? You Royal? know, sometimes he likes to uh, appear presidential. Have you noticed? He kind of lowers his voice and he speaks a little more slowly. And then he comes out and he talks to folks about, you know, while the helicopter blades are whirring, talks right. about how presidential he sounded. So who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll see in a day or two. Chopper talk. So um, two of the Republican senators, uh, they bolted, uh, as I like to put it. Clever. Uh, they bolted uh, on the Bolton issue. I don't know how clever it was. Uh, but the fact is, uh, two senators did uh, vote for witnesses, Romney and right. uh, and Collins of Maine. I. I wonder, isn't there something disturbing about a completely unanimous 47 Democrats and virtually unanimous 53 Republicans? Isn't that proof that these people in the Senate are kind of like automatons? They're just robots, lemmings. Uh, They they have to vote with everybody else (laughs) Uh, in a way— I don't want to be partisan here, but in a way, doesn't that speak better of the Republicans? Because at least two of them did bolt. Nobody in the 47 group bolted. No one in the 47 group bolted because
2: it would be to nobody's advantage and make no legal or moral sense for them to have bolted. The two that bolted on the Republican side... Create. they give cover to the rest to say, hey, there was some disagreement. This was a real discussion. Uh, but, you know, there's a little bit on both sides. You never know. And these are two people, one specifically Susan Collins, who certainly got the uh, what they call the hall pass from Mitch McConnell to be able to vote um, in a what way that What is this, will, junior high? Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Okay. Um, he's the teacher, and they're all the unruly children. And sh- she was given the hall pass so she could go vote uh, this way because she comes from Maine, and she needs to, you know, be able to capture the liberals and say, Well, okay, Susan at least voted for witnesses and evidence, so we're going to keep voting her reluctantly in because we know who she is and name recognition is everything. The other uh, was Mitt Romney, right, who voted uh, for witnesses and evidence. Mitt Romney, um, you could make a better case that Mitt voted his conscience.
3: Yeah, because he's not up for re-election for a long time. he's not up for
2: a re-election, for a for a re-election um, but he is up for uh, maybe a presidential run again. You never know. This could happen. He could he could go for it once again in 2024 perhaps. Oh, don't um, you
3: think he's been president and waiting now for the last year or so? I mean, we oh, know yeah. how he feels about Trump. Right. He took the extraordinary step of, of making that speech when Trump was running, essentially calling him a fraud and a charlatan. Yeah. And, and now, don't you think that uh, Romney's attitude was you know, I, I, I not so secretly think Trump uh, is, is a really bad guy. Yes. And if, in fact, Watergate-style smoking gun evidence emerges that puts his job in jeopardy, well, I'm I'm here. I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm lean. I mean, I'm tanned. Right. I'm ready. Yeah. So this is
2: not anybody's, you know, this is not a, a, a real split of opinion on the Republican side. This is Mitch McConnell saying, well, we've got Mitt Romney, who might be our next president in 2024. So we got to keep his hands clean after this scum you know circus uh wraps up and then we've got susan collins who we we have another vote to give and she's uh one of our vulnerable uh republicans uh, coming up for re-election in a tough uh district because she's uh coming from liberal maine um and we want to maintain the the facade the illusion uh like they did during kavanaugh that maybe she's gonna go liberal never know no she's not she's just like all the rest of them controlled and uh, um, getting their marching orders from mitch mcconnell and on the other hand you see the Democrats who are lining up, but they're lining up because there's overwhelming Democratic distrust of, dislike of, and desire to get Trump out of office. So there's no reason why they would be, you
3: know, politically advantaged to do anything else.
2: But you don't even have to go there. You could just say they're making the right moral decision. Get real. No, of this I don't guy.
3: know if it's totally unanimous. I mean, we heard some reports that Diane Feinstein, mm-hmm. the Democrat senator from California, was actually leaning toward voting against impeachment. Now, we're going to know very soon how she casts her vote, and I think her staff maybe kind of walked that report back, yeah. but... You know, if there was truth to that report, what it suggests is that she feels kind of the way some of the Republicans felt, namely you know, bad stuff went down but not impeachment-worthy.
2: Yeah, and I mean we can jump right to that. We can jump to the, the arguments um, that the, the, the lawyers on either side have been making, lawyers and, well, and managers. B-
3: before we do that, well, one more comment that I can make it, in terms of actually defending the Democrats here. F- to, to criticize them as being automatons because all 47 of them voted the same way, they kind of had to stick together because they are in the minority. Right. And so they, their only chance to, to make a push and get the witnesses and so on was for them to absolutely stick with uh, everybody else, whereas the Republicans had the luxury of a few people peeling off R- R- Romney and Collins, and they still were able to win. So This is true. Yeah, so Absolutely. yeah, let's get Can't to the them. let's get to the arguments. Um, it was a it was a big week for dueling hypotheticals. It, it made the lawyers and law students feel like they were they were back in the classroom, I think, because uh, people love to come up with these hypotheticals. Yeah. I think for example, Jerry Nadler, chairman of the Judiciary Committee got up there and said all oh, yeah, you know, I don't want to hear about the supposedly high-minded motives of uh, Donald Trump. Let me tell you something: If somebody accepts a bribe or commits some other crime, steals money, but they had an additional motive of you know wanting to give it to the Red Cross or something pure right. and, and not illegal, that doesn't make it any less of a, a, a an act of bribery. Right? You think that's all there is to, to this debate?
2: Well, I agree that uh, the dueling motives argument is. Uh, while the best thing the Republicans have put out there that, I mean, that's their argument, is maybe Trump had a good motive behind what he did, because it's obvious that he also had a bad motive. So they can't really make an argument that he didn't have a bad motive. All they can say is, well, he's also got good ideas. And the president can do lots of things if he has good support you know, ideas uh, on one hand and bad ideas on the other. Bad being personally interested, right, in the interest of himself, his own re-election, and his own uh, desires. We'll get to uh, later what Dershowitz says about how his own re-election is actually in the public interest, also crazy, but not the (laughs) the point. In this situation, we can imagine the reasonable take, which is he wants to be president. That's a personal, selfish interest. And on the other hand, there is he wants to end corruption generally. That's a a good, generic public interest. So in that scenario, when we're comparing those two, you don't balance them on two sides of Lady Justice's scale. You don't say one is heavier than the other, he cares more about one than the other. We we just don't care about peering in. Then nobody in the Senate even tried to make that argument to as far as I saw, maybe you saw it, to say one was stronger or deeper or more, more heartfelt than the other. Well, some of the
3: Republicans, uh, they did say it's difficult to measure and quantify right. the, the influence or the effect. We're of, not psychic. We can't yeah. see inside Trump's head. Well, it, it, what you're describing, though, isn't that kind of an answer to the Nadler hypothetical? I mean, let's take another hypothetical. Mm-hmm. You're Franklin Roosevelt. You're, s- you're sitting in there in your wheelchair in mm-hmm. World War II got to make a decision about what to do. You decide, well, I'm gonna bomb the heck out of Adolf Hitler. Sure. Why are you doing that, uh, Franklin? Well, uh, three reasons. Number one, uh, he wants to get reelected. right. Uh, oh yeah, it's a political motivation. He knows it'll help his re-election campaign if he bombs Hitler. Number two, As a matter of fact, his son, his son did fight in the war. His son had just been uh, killed by Hitler's troops. And boy, was FDR ticked off about that. And number three, by the way, it's tactically the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's in America's best interest. So given that scenario do we really care if the, there were two not so great reasons for FDR's decision to bomb Hitler, the political thing and the personal thing about his son, as long as the decision was also driven by a perfectly legitimate motivation?
2: I think we do care. And I think while we can't weigh them against each other, and we certainly don't say two V one, and because there are two reasons on one side and one on the other, that's silly because the, the import the gravity of the reasons is so much more important. Um, Notice that in no situation here did we have a um, a subversion of uh, the, uh, and this is, I know, a bit of a diversion. I don't mean to change the subject, but we don't we don't have a subversion of the uh, sub perversion of the separation of powers. We don't have uh, the president making a decision that should be properly left to uh, Congress uh, to make. They allocated money to Ukraine, and he decided. I know they allocated money to Ukraine, but despite that. I'm going to st- put a hold on that money anyway for personal reasons. But ignoring that, ignoring and, and, and not fighting the hypo, as they say in law school classrooms, I'm not going to fight the hypo. And in this situation, <laughs> yes, you you've proposed that we have a selfish reason. Maybe I want the war to end, my son to come home, and so I'm going to end the war. But also, I want the war to end because— Hitler's a bad guy, and we got to beat the right. Nazis, right? Well, actually,
3: we're, we're going to get Connor's answer to that hypothetical in just a second because we need to break There's take a suspense. break on too many lawyers. We'll be right back. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. We are back. This is too many lawyers, and we're talking about hypothetical situations. What about mixed motivations for a chief executive to take various steps? And to, you know, part of the hypothetical that that some Republicans are saying was, well, gee. What if Trump really did have some level of interest in fighting corruption and really believed that uh, Biden's, uh, the prosecutor Biden wanted fired, had been going after Burisma, and then he stopped going after Burisma. But Biden figured, well, I'll throw my weight around. He might revive the investigation, and he got him fired, thus indirectly helping his son. So how do you answer the idea that maybe there are some mixed motives, some good, not some some not so good? So fundamentally, everyone has mixed motives for everything they
2: do, and you can't actually um, you can't actually split those up and divide and, and you know split hairs as to why they did what they did. You can really only say what are the real motivations, the primary motivations, and the driving motivations and I think that's a really important thing to do. I think you have to weigh those uh, against uh, each other in some way. And I think that's what the Senate failed to do. I think, as I was describing earlier, nobody really was making those arguments in the Senate. And when it comes down to it, you have to do that calculus and you have to say, how much did Trump really care about about uh, impeachment? And how much, sorry, about he <laughs> because very much about impeachment, how <laughs> much did he care about uh, coloring uh, Biden's history, uh, tarring it, and uh, uh, ruining his chances to, to beat Trump in the general election? And how much did he really care about rooting out corruption in the Ukrainian political system? And the answer that everyone can come up with, is one massively outweighed the other? No one really actually thinks that Trump cares about corruption in Ukraine, and no one really actually thinks that Trump doesn't care about. Well, if coloring. we're not sure, why don't we get some witnesses in there and kind of sort, out, sort out this issue? Great idea! Excellent idea. See, and that's the problem. And fundamentally, when you get down to it, you can you can you can extrapolate from uh, certain things. For example, that Trump. Uh, Didn't want witnesses and evidence That none of the Republicans Wanted witnesses and evidence Uh, You can extrapolate from uh, The first-hand accounts Of somebody like John Bolton Who, not uh, a liberal champion But in this case Is a first-hand account Of how Trump specifically said uh, I'm doing this so that They'll open an investigation Into the Bidens And there's no way They're getting the money Until they uh, open that investigation Um, You have all the whistleblower uh, evidence and and third-hand, second-hand information that we had that paints the picture of it, whose names we don't need anymore, Rand Paul. Sorry, I know you want to read his name out loud because you've completely reversed yourself on whistleblower protections in the last two years for some reason. But we can extrapolate. We know that Trump didn't really give a crap about corruption in Ukraine. And Uh, when it comes down to it— That, I think, is is the the argument that we all know we should be making, but nobody, even the Democrats, decided to make in the Senate because it wouldn't be to their advantage. If they get up there and they say— well, you know, let's weigh these corrupt motives. Then it becomes a matter of trying to read Trump's mind, and they don't want that. They want it to be clean cut. If he has a negative, uh, a bad motivation that completely taints any good motivation, I think that made him made them vulnerable to these sorts of hypotheticals that we're talking
3: about. Let me digress for a minute and ask you: You think this whole impeachment business is going to trigger a rush for people to go to law school? Back in the day when when Watergate hit, I mean Woodward and Bernstein, the guys that brought Nixon down, they yeah. were. Folk heroes, and a heroes. lot of people wanted to rush to become journalists. I saw some amazing lawyering watching uh, most of this impeachment proceeding. I mean, Adam Schiff was a remarkable uh, prosecutor, I'm yeah. sure, because yeah. he did a fantastic job. Patrick Philbin was a brilliant guy on on the Republican side. You think that uh, this is going to cause folks to say, hey, you know, I thought being a lawyer is dorky, but no, uh, I'll be on TV someday. (laughs) I think what makes the
2: news cycle uh, as much or more than these uh, excellent examples of lawyering that keep the ship afloat and things moving forward are the catastrophic uh, train wreck versions of lawyering uh, that get snipped out and put into the comedy shows in in the evening, and so people get to watch that. I think more more people are thinking about Alan Dershowitz and his train wreck uh, of an attempt to defend Trump uh, than they're thinking about Adam Schiff's impassioned uh, attempt or Philbin's impassioned uh, attempt. Uh, to defend him on the uh, the Republican side. It's
3: funny, Dershowitz's argument actually got some flack even from the Republican side. This fellow Philbin that I mentioned referred to it as the more radical part of Mr. Dershowitz's argument. Uh, But I I think still the the Republicans basically embraced the idea that Dershowitz was pushing, which is you do have to have a crime. It says high crimes and misdemeanors for a reason. And even though this whole process is drenched in politics... Well, that's not even... That's not even Dershowitz's point of you have to
2: have a crime. Right. Uh, the, Dershowitz's point, uh, first of all, uh, that argument is completely undercut by the Republicans' pursuit of Clinton for something that was not a crime in any well, way. Well no, Clinton, Clinton okay, don't had, say f- had to the, Yeah, okay. I mean,
3: he did have actual felonies on his record. Sure. He, he, Well, you say sure, because most people— It's funny, we were talking off the air about how 77% of the public approved of, of Clinton— the day he was impeached, right. I mean, overwhelming support because yeah. people said, yeah, he lied about sex. Everybody lies about sex. But technically, they got him on perjury because before right. he knew about the dress, he said, no, I did not have sex with that woman and so on. Right. And so so they had actual crimes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people would say, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'd be more worried about an abuse of power and, and Trump and, and uh, foreign policy to in order to get Biden than I care about Bill Clinton lying under oath but he did have a he did have a crime, and, and that was right. one of Dershowitz's arguments. You got to have a crime. Right. Dershowitz's other argument, uh,
2: Dershowitz being on Sunday, uh, uh, on the Sunday shows on Fox News right now, by the way, uh, out there still <laughs> proudly trotting around as though he hadn't uh, shat the bed uh, in front of everyone uh, on TV last week, he went out there and said, um, the president thinks that winning the winning re-election is in the public interest. Every politician I know thinks that winning re-election is in the public interest because they think their being a politician and their being president is, would be good for the country. Yeah. And therefore— well, I'm with him on that. Anything he does, anything that politician does in pursuit of getting re-elected is in the public interest. So nothing he quote from quote from Dershowitz here. Nothing that a president does uh, in order to get reelected, and therefore in order to you know further the public interest, is the kind of quid pro quid pro quo that can form the basis of impeachment. Right. So that of course, as we talked about dueling hypotheticals, prompted everybody to rush out and say, well, what about this, Alan? What about us talking about things that are not crimes, but that. Are uh, a use of presidential power to try to get reelected that we can all recognize are dirty tricks. And some of these that I've seen online from very smart people, people pointed out, well, the president has the power to influence the exercise of eminent domain. They could, uh, Don, uh, President Donald Trump could exercise eminent domain to uh, to steal Joe Biden's campaign headquarters. He could just take the land. What the about the, the no-malarkey
3: bus? What if, if he takes Yeah, he, could,
2: he could take the no-malarkey bus. credit credit Jonathan Starr, another attorney uh, who has made some of these great arguments um, online that I've seen. Uh, or Donald Trump could uh, direct the CDC, the Senator of Disease Control, part of the, the U.S. government that the executive branch runs. Um could to quarantine voters in districts where people tend to vote against Don. We, we, could, we could quarantine all the San Franciscans uh, and other liberals, uh, and by, by so doing, make sure that he wins the general election because they're all locked up. Not a crime. He has the power to exercise right. the quarantine people. Um, he could put all his political opponents on a no-fly list. Uh, again, these are all three ideas uh, put forth by my, my friend and former colleague Jonathan Starr, very smart guy who's pointed out, none of these things are crimes all of them are exercises of political uh, of the president's political authority. He could do all of them. We recognize that all of them would be an abuse of power designed to get Trump back in office. And Dershowitz's argument directly said, just says just as on the nose, none of these could form the basis of impeachment. They just can't. And the only way that we could get him is if he was doing something that wouldn't get him reelected. Why would Trump ever do anything that would not get him reelected? Of course, all of these dirty tricks he's going to pull are going to get him reelected one way or another.
3: Since, That's why he's pulling them. Since we're talking about Alan Dershowitz, let's stick to the topic of ego flares. Oh, yeah. uh, I was struck by the, the massive ego uh, eruptions during this impeachment drama. For example, Ted Cruz. I was watching him being interviewed uh, uh, on, on one of the shows. And he was just so excited about the fact that... That his podcast had gone to number one on the planet. Now, you know, in truth, you know, if our podcast went to number one of on the planet, I'd be pretty excited. Yeah, too. Sure. But the fact is, he was just gushing about it. Apparently, he set up a, a podcast deal where after the proceeding every night, uh, he would go to a Capitol studio. And so I thought, well, you know, this is a historic event here. Should we really be talking about the the ratings for your podcast? But the other example of ego is now Alan Schiff, for all the, the the great job he did, and he was the leader of the pack, he basically stole the job away from Jerry Nadler because this right. is a Judiciary Committee thing. That's who uh, votes to impeach the president initially, and then they send it to the House. It's the Judiciary Committee. And Jerry Nadler was ahead of that. Well, Schiff clearly became the leader of the gang. Uh, In in the impeachment proceeding. And so what happened is at the very end for the very final answer to the final question posed by the Chief Justice, uh, Jerry Nadler hopped up and ran to the podium and clearly Schiff wanted to give the answer. And so the video shows Schiff standing up, walking after Jerry, saying, Jerry, Jer- Jerry. Jer- Jer- three Jerry." Three times he mentions his name. <laughs> and I guess Jerry doesn't pay much attention to his name. I'm busy, Adam. Because he ignored this is him. That was my and moment. And he got the final well, response. Well, I mean, Adam
2: stole all the glory the entire trial. He was the star, and Jerry Nadler was kind of bumbling. Exactly
3: right. Hey, we're going to take uh, another pause. This is Too Many Lawyers. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome back. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So uh, this topic on impeachment, I guess I would refer to as uh, let the doofus answer. Now, to explain myself... Uh, at one point in the proceedings, you remember the, the questions would be written down on the old timey uh, note cards. For the Chief Justice to read out. For the Chief Justice out. to read out. So mm-hmm. one of them by, posed by the Republicans, very clever. They said, uh, Chief Justice, would you please ask Mr. Nadler to address the question of uh, mixed motive and have Mr. Philbin on the Republican side address the same question? Thank you very much. And so the two of them hopped up and and gave their answers. And after that, uh, Chief Justice uh, said, you know what, I don't think you should be able to dictate which of the lawyers answers the question. You think maybe there was a, a desire by the Republicans to uh, to see Mr. Nadler struggle with the question as opposed to having oh somebody else on the team tackle it?
2: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like in in uh, basketball. Where the other team gets to decide which player to foul, uh, so they <laughs> oh, can that's right. make sure that Fr- Shaq is uh, good analogy. is
3: uh, taking the free throws as opposed to uh, as opposed to Kobe. Now the Chief Justice, uh, speaking of John Roberts, uh, he for a time uh, we thought he might get involved to break ties. And everybody said, well, uh, how does that happen? Right. In the Senate, the president of the Senate breaks a tie. That's yes, the vice president. Happened to be you know, the vice president on the Republican side. But who he'll vote for. But Chuck Schumer, a historian that he is, he dug up the fact that when Andrew Johnson, the president, was impeached uh, in uh, in the 1860s after the Lincoln assassination— When that impeachment trial went down, the chief justice did actually cast some tie-breaking votes so that when the Democrats were thinking, gee, maybe if we're lucky, it'll be a tie 50-50 on witnesses and the chief can, can break it. Can you imagine in any scenario Chief Justice Roberts wanting to stick his nose into a purely political partisan fight and saying, okay, guys, if you really want me to cast the vote, I've been a little frustrated about being ceremonial here for the last week. I mean, no way he would take that. This,
2: I think, is is a great example of how uh, the law is all made up. There's no such thing as justice and there is no God. This is the this not to be uh, you know overly dramatic right not to be overly dramatic about it but look. The idea that you would dig up, our, our legal system is based on the idea of precedent, right? We're going to run into this topic a lot throughout this entire podcast. Every episode, we're going to run into the idea of what, what lawyers are obsessed with the idea of precedent. When you have a case that's established, then later cases, you get to look back at the past and say, well, this is how they did it then, and that should be binding authority on you, or it should be an authority that you can take into account, uh, but isn't binding on you, depending. This is the sort of thing where we see in in living color that that is nonsense in most contexts. Now you might be able to say you look back at well well, this is how we interpret ambiguous contracts and therefore when an ambiguous contract comes up in a subsequent case it makes sense that we would use the same principles to observe it. But the idea that With no part of the Constitution or their document is establishing that the chief justice who's presiding over an impeachment trial is the one who breaks the tie, as opposed to the vice president being the one who breaks the tie. There is literally no way that in something that is this important, you're going to get people to line up and go, oh, well, yeah, I guess since that's how they did it back (laughs) in the 1800s, that's how we should do it today, even though it's against my interest. And it's going to mean that either Trump gets impeached or not impeached or uh, removed from office or, or remains in office. The idea that any Democrat would go along with that and that the American people would line up behind a representative who voted that way or, or, or stood by and let it happen and said, well, we were one vote from getting Trump away uh, uh, out of office after this, you know, he shot someone on Fifth Avenue and almost got away with it. And then the chief justice of the Supreme Court stepped in and broke the tie and said, I'm going to be the guy, just like in Andrew Johnson's case, if you were Adam Schiff's constituent, as I am, or not anymore, but I used to be. I used to live up, up there in SoCal in his district. If I were to sit by and say, well, Adam Schiff just let Trump get away with literal murder because he wanted to let Chief Justice Roberts break the tie because that's the way they did in the 1800s, uh, I would— rather burn down Adam Schiff's campaign headquarters yeah,
3: than I, let that happen. I think the whole thing was was a doomed it's mission.
2: It's insane and you can't a- appeal to these legal principles of, you know, the way things have been done in the past and precedent as though this was a real trial. It's not a real trial. These are not judges making actual decisions based on past precedent like in an appeal uh, of a of a civil trial in our our, our civil system and to uh, to idealize it as that and, and act like the outcome will be determined uh, by precedent when it's actually determined by politics is completely disingenuous. And I think it's a huge part of what's wrong with our legal system and our political system. We well, act like things are based on precedent and based on the past and based on rules when they're not. They're based on political advantage
3: and cutthroat Machiavellian politics. Well, speaking of disingenuity, I don't think I've ever used that word before. It's a good I'm word. not even sure it yeah. is really a word. A good word. So let's, let's be honest, though. Let me hit you with this. How much of this whole impeachment thing, Is just because of Trump's character flaws. I mean, let's be honest. He's a creep. Uh, He's off the charts, annoying. Mm -hmm. Reaction to him is unprecedentedly hostile. Gallup started the Gallup poll, whatever, 80 years ago. Sure. Never in the history of the Gallup poll has a president gone through his entire term without at least a day of 50% or better support. Never, ever. And guess what? Trump has never cracked 50%.
2: Well, when you lose the popular vote by 3 million votes.
3: Yeah, but, you know, a lot of them have been close, and several people True. have lost the popular True. vote, but they still somehow climbed over the the 50%. Now, I get all the arguments against him. Uh, I hear uh, from the Democrats. I hear from the, the deplorables. And the about Republicans, by the way, before he got elected. W- they had arguments right. against oh, him, oh, yeah. too. And, but but I from the deplorables, you know, low unemployment, the great right. judges, and so on. But let's be honest. I mean, isn't the reaction against Trump over the top? I mean, Nixon ordered a cover-up of a burglary. Johnson lied to the public about how things were going in Vietnam. JFK lied about the the missile gap to get elected. I mean, knowing that knowing by the way that Nixon and Eisenhower couldn't contradict him. They all these presidents bugged people, they destroyed lives, but nobody says I'm a very stable genius. Only Trump does that. Now, isn't that What drove the Mueller report, the impeachment drive? Isn't that really what has been happening (sighs) in the last few years? I hear what you're
2: saying. I absolutely do. I think, though, that we have the same problem we had earlier in this very episode when we were talking about splitting apart people's motivations, Trump's motivations for doing uh, what he did in Ukraine. Were there any good motivations behind it, or was it purely selfish, bad, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hurt Joe Biden reasons? I don't think it matters that you had competing interests— You had—what you really had was a a death-by-a-thousand cuts with Trump, and each one of those cuts, you could argue that, uh, you know, JFK lying about the missile gap, sure, maybe that happened, or uh, Nixon uh, authorizing the break-in of the Watergate Hotel, which definitely happened— We can look at all those things and say any one of Trump's bad things that he's done. Wait a minute.
3: Nixon definitely authorizing the break-in? I believe if we check our political history, that actually hasn't been established.
2: Maybe you're right. Maybe he just signed off on it afterwards. (laughs) Well, he
3: definitely tried to cover it up, and that's what led to his downfall. that's good
2: enough. So, So these bad things have certainly happened, and it's... It's entirely arguable that any one of Trump's bad things that he did, like uh, locking children up at the border unnecessarily in order to deter migrants uh, or... um, uh, enacting a travel ban uh, uh, based on you know Muslim countries and other countries that he didn't like as a cover, but mainly it was about Muslim countries because he literally said Muslim ban on TV before that, uh, calling uh, for Russia and others and foreign intelligence services to investigate uh, U.S. citizens and to interfere in the U.S. election, any one of these things— Is impeachment worthy? And the fact that we have the most well-documented one in Ukraine, it's like how you get Al Capone on tax evasion, Mm -hmm. right? There's no way to get him on everything, and the the public's brain would explode if you tried to— issue articles of impeachment for each one of his terrible things and that would just offer opportunities for his opponents for your opponents for Trump supporters to say well well this one tiny little thing in this one article of impeachment about locking children up at the border well I mean Obama did kind of sort of a similar thing and he kind of just kind of ramped it up a little right. bit and his and, blah, 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 blah. and he said on TV that it was you know to, to deter people and that's what really made it bad whereas Obama never said that on TV and that's is that really uh, do, do we really want to base impeachment on what somebody said on TV blah 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 you can make nitpicky arguments they didn't allow that. The Democrats didn't allow the Republicans and Trump supporters to do that. They instead went with the slam dunk. You know what? We can get him on the one where he says on tape, "I'm doing this." The one where he's going to have John Bolton write a book saying he did this. Mm-hmm. The one where some people in his administration are calling it a drug deal. The one where he he you know really has. Is, so pressured to release what he calls the transcript, which is really just a summary notes that his own people prepared of the call that still obviously implicates him in this, you know, bribery extortion steam with the Ukrainian guy. Zelensky, I- obviously, this is the one where where we didn't even want to impeach him. Pelosi was firmly anti-impeachment. She thought it'd be bad politics. And then this one shows up, and it's so bad that they had to do it. They had no other choice in their mind, that it wasn't just a, well, we can score more political points here. It's, we will lose a colossal amount of political points if we don't. It's the right thing to do. We have a chance, an outside chance, of actually convincing people that he needs to actually go uh, one year uh, ahead of an election. And so we gotta do it. So he doesn't matter to me that you had a, a death by a thousand cuts previously, and that's what is really motivating people. If Trump had been a perfect model president somehow, if he'd really stepped up day one after his, nom- after his uh, swearing in, and uh, uh, I was about to say coronation. A uh, little, little bit different, but not that different.
3: Um, and he'd just been a perfect president until the Ukraine thing. Would they have impeached him on it? No, definitely not. Well, I know Democrats would say, uh, yes, Trump is a model president. Because if you look up the definition of model, it's a small replica of the real thing. <laughs> so, Connor, it's been a rough week for you, I know, That's with a, the whole yeah. business. So I but think as a reward, you get the last word on, on a final question. And Do then... I need
2: more words? I feel yeah. like I've been throwing out a lot of no. words. Well, h- here's my, my WPM question. is very high <laughs> this question week.
3: for you after the Republicans won the big fight over witnesses. Yeah. Um, Fox News had a headline. Oh God! You get to answer as to whether it was clever mm-hmm. or were they gloating. Yeah. Now here's the headline by Fox News after the witness vote: Game set Mitch. Oh my God! Game set Mitch. So you know Connor that Oaks is very clever. A, oh good. So I,
2: I have to admit that's well. It's that's, well written. That's magnanimous but, of you. It's almost it's almost too on the nose. I mean, to, to, to be admitting that Mitch McConnell has won the game that is orchestrating this. I mean, the, the Fox News is admitting that their their goal is to ridiculize the procedure and to make it a game and to say that we've won the game is to also point the finger at the other side and say you're playing a game. And so I think it's very tactical. It's very clever. Uh, and uh, I hate them. I'm not sure that
3: disingenu- disingenuity, disingenuity is a word, yeah. and I'm not even sure if ridiculize is a word. Oh, it's a good one. They're all good. But on that note, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. This has been Too Many Lawyers. We'll see you next time.
0: Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan.